All right. You can be opening up your Bibles to the uh, letter to the churches in Galatia. We will be continuing our study there. And uh, talking about some things that we've already talked about a little bit, but we're going to expound on that today. You know, Galatians has actually been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Who knows what the Magna Carta was? You should have learned that in history, right, in school? We got any history teachers in here? No, no, nobody wants to raise their hand? Okay. Well, anyways, it was, um, it was a Bill of Rights that uh, came about in 1215. Some rebellious English barons, uh, I guess they rebelled. I don't know the whole history of it, but King John uh, signed it with some English barons to give them basic political rights. And many will say that our Bill of Rights today is patterned after it. I don't know if that's true. I haven't studied the history of that. But that's what many call the uh, letter to the churches in Galatia. A document or a piece of legislature that serves as a guarantee of basic rights. And the reason it's been called this is because of Paul's discussion regarding bondage. We've talked a lot about bondage in this study. Bondage and liberty, right? How are we bound? How are we free? Let's turn back over to Galatians chapter 2 there, and let's read some stuff we looked at earlier. Galatians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 4. Paul says to them, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now this is a connection with the meeting that the Paul had with the apostles in Jerusalem. And he's referring to people who are coming in trying to say, you gotta keep the law of Moses, you gotta be circumcised, you gotta keep the old law, you're still bound to it. And then turn over there in chapter four there. Read a few verses from chapter four again. Particularly verse three, he says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, we're justified by faith, not by works. Therefore, we become heirs. We're not just keeping the law. We're not bound to the law. We're heirs of the promise. We have an inheritance coming. Verse 9 there. Actually verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, there's a big difference there, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desired again to be in bondage? You see, God knows you now. You're an adopted son. Why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to being under the law? You are now a child of God. Verse 24. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written... Rejoice, O barren, you do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children. 
than, than she who has a husband. In other words, Paul is chastising them on the idea that they would go back to bondage. Why would you leave that freedom you have in Christ? And then today's text, turn to chapter 5 there in verse 1, he says, Stand, stand fast, therefore in the liberty which Christ has made us free. I do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's kind of the culmination of it right there. He's saying, stand fast in that liberty. Do not go back. The old law has been done away. The covenant has been nailed to the cross, that old law. You now are free in Christ Jesus. It's kind of the climax of the whole letter, you might say. He's going to go on and talk about some more stuff here. But that one verse kind of sums it up. Stand fast in that liberty you have in Christ Jesus. Okay. Well, today I want to talk about what that exactly means. What does that mean to stand fast in the liberty of Christ Jesus? And of course, it goes without saying, freedom from the law of Moses, right? Turn back to verse two, uh, chapter 2 there and let's read what he says there. Chapter 2 says in verse uh, 16. <clears throat> Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can't be saved by the works of the law. It's not possible. You can't keep the law. You're in the flesh. In the flesh, you can't keep the law. It's not possible. But you're justified through the blood of Christ Jesus. In your belief in Him, in your belief in Him, you now have freedom. Freedom from that law which binds you. Chapter 3, verse uh, 23. What do you say again? But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. That's what the purpose was for the law. It was our teacher. It was our guide. It's what pointed us to Christ. Yeah, we, we are in the flesh. We don't know what all we need to know. God had to reveal things to us, right? We had to know what was right and what was wrong. Right? The world's not going to tell you. The world's going to tell you you're stupid for thinking things are right and wrong. There's no absolute truth. There's no absolute right and wrong. That's not what the Word says. There's a law. There's some stuff that God said you don't do. And there's some stuff you need to be doing. But we're not bound to that to keep it. We can't keep it. That was our guide to Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Another point. Turn over to Romans there. Let's see what he says to the church in Rome. We're going to see some more stuff he says about this. Romans chapter 7. Beginning verse 4. He says, <clears throat> Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit 
to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. The old law is not going to save you. It was just our guide. We are now living in the Spirit in our, through our faith in Christ Jesus. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about keeping the rules, right? It's about living a life dedicated to God. Turn yourself over to Him, loving Him greater than anything else in your life. And if you do that, obviously, you're going to keep the law as best you can because you know the commands, right? But you're not bound by that. You can think about that in the first century a little bit, right? Because that's what they had, right? Until Christ came, that's how they lived. And I'm sure there was a lot of guilt that went on, especially someone who considered himself to be a devout Jew, right? Trying to keep the law, but I can't keep it. Paul even talks about that, you know? I, I do the I don't I can't I want to do the right thing but I can't do it. Imagine that this means a lot to them, right? Yeah, we can look back and say, well, we understand that. You know, we, we get that. I I understand about freedom of Christ. They they didn't at that time. That's all they had. So it gives us that freedom. Freedom. And turn over to Romans 8. Let's see what else it says there. Romans 8. Verse, uh, verse one. He said, "There is now, there, there is therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death." You see what I'm saying there? To them, that's all they had. Now they're saying, wait a minute, I don't have to worry about keeping the law anymore. It's about my faith in Christ Jesus. He shed his blood so I don't have to worry about my sin. I'm freed from it. Get the picture a little bit? Yeah. We don't have to worry about it. God has taken care of it. Sin came into the world through one man, and sin was taken out of the world by another man. The Son of God. So that's the picture I'm trying to get in your mind here. It's not about keeping that law. We're free from sin. We're free from that law. We don't have to worry about keeping the law, which we can't keep anyways, anymore. In fact, John 8, let's just turn over there and read it. I know you know the verse, but let's turn over and read it one more time and see what the Lord said about it. Verse 31 of John 8. <clears throat> Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Then Jesus answered them, Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. In other words, you've transgressed the law. You've sinned. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son, we're now adopted sons, 
abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What a fantastic set of verses. I know you've heard that. Probably didn't understand it completely, right? But look at Galatians and how Paul's describing that. Maybe that'll help. We're freed from that bondage that we had in sin. And you can imagine in the first century what that meant to those Jews who really tried to keep the law but couldn't. This is a great freedom, I'm sure, for them. And it is for us, too. We have a freedom from traditions of men. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Chapter 4 there, go back to verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or rather known my God, how is it that you turned again to the weak and burial elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Colossians chapter 2, turn over there. He talks to the, the church in Colossians about this well. 2 and verse 20. <clears throat> Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Paul's saying, we're free from those traditions that men tell you you got to keep. You don't have to worry about those things. Yeah, the Jews had a lot of feasts and stuff they had to keep, a lot of special holidays, right? No, no, no. That was pointing to Christ. Those things are not needed. It's not part of your freedom in Christ Jesus. And you're in danger if you're trying to keep all those things. We're freed from that. Christ delivered us from that need to keep human uh, tradition. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 15, about the danger of keeping human traditions. And do we see that today in Christendom? We sure do. I was just watching something uh, this morning or the other day. Somebody was talking about somebody got arrested for uh, the pro-life thing. I think they were Catholic. And as he's being, which was ridiculous, but as he's being taken out of his house by the police or whatever, he tells his wife to get his rosary. And I'm thinking, what's he need the rosary for, <laughs> you know? And so I guess he could pray while he's in prison. And I'm thinking, well, I don't need no stinking rosary to pray in prison. I can pray right to God. I can go right there to the throne room. A tradition of men, right? I'm not knocking people if you think you need a rosary or whatever. I consider that a tradition of men. And I consider it a great privilege that I can go straight into the throne room right there before the creator of the universe because of the blood of Christ Jesus. He's my mediator. He's my high priest. That was hell idea, you remember? At the cross, the crucifixion, the veil was torn. How was it torn? Top to bottom. If you ever look at the description, I believe it was probably about 30 feet high. It would have taken a pretty big ladder for a man to get up there and do it. That's what that was about. Pointing to now, we have a relationship with the Father 
And we become sons of God just like talking to our own dad. Freedom from traditions of men. Kind of talked about this already. Let's go to Galatians 5. And these are some verses we hadn't really read yet. We'll look ahead a little bit. Galatians chapter 5 there, and look at verse 13. He says, For you, brethren, have been called liberally, liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even as this, in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. What an interesting verse, right? But we've been freed from the works of the flesh. What are some of those works? Well, quarreling amongst each other, eating each other up. Do we ever do that? <laughs> hmm. Interesting, right? Jesus speaks of, I, uh, Paul speaks of the idea that we are freed and the works of the flesh. What are the works of the flesh? Well, let's go read it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now let's just see what some of the stuff he's talking about there. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is saying, you were some pretty sinful folks. He had a lot of bad stuff going on. But now you've been washed. Now you've been freed from those works of the flesh. You're sanctified. <clears throat> he warns, of course, about that, right? He gives us a warning. We got to be careful lest we fall back into that. And perhaps even those are things that someone in here right now is struggling with. I don't know. But he gives us the out. He gives us the freedom from it. How do we do that? Getting in the spirit. Getting in the word. Being in prayer. I've said it many times. We are of the spirit now. We're not of the flesh. The flesh no longer controls us. The law no longer controls us. We have freedom in Christ through his love. For us. He warns against that. Jesus also warned against it. But through his shedding of his blood, he offers us that deliverance and through our faith in him. So that kind of tells us what, what it means to be in the liberty, to, to live and stand fast on liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Um, and that's that's easy to see, right? Easy to talk about perhaps sometimes not as easy to live but that's part of it we don't have to worry about keeping that law anymore we don't have to worry about the fact that we're going to do something wrong yes we strive to be more like him every day we strive for perfection never reaching it 
There's only one that was good. That was Christ Jesus. But that's all part of that growth. So what does that exactly mean as we're standing in that, standing fast in that liberty? How, how do we handle being in that liberty? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's see what Paul said to Timothy there. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 8, he says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And there is, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who, are alone, who alone is wise, be honor and be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's telling Timothy, handle the law the way it should be handled to reprove those who live in sin, to rebuke those. Understand that. Romans, turn over to Romans again, chapter 15. And I know we're jumping around here a little bit, but there's some good verses. Romans 15, verse 14. He says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge, able also to admonish one another. And then, of course, I should have told you to stay in Timothy there. Go back to 2 Timothy, and let's read a verse that you've heard many times. We're going to read it again. Verse, uh, 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, what he's saying is, yeah, we have freedom on Christ, but the law was given. We are to use that to reprove, to rebuke. Out of our love for our brothers and sisters and, and ourselves, that's how the law is to be used. Not that we have to keep it. Not that we have to be circumcised in all the traditions of men. But for instruction, rebuke, reproof. That's how you're supposed to handle it. That's how you stand fast in your liberty. 
it ceased as a system of justification. It's not what justifies us. It's our faith in Christ that justifies us. It's been replaced as a covenant. Remember, it was nailed to the cross. Its religious observances have been replaced. The law is, has its place in our freedom, in our liberty in Christ. And we need to know how to handle it. That's what Paul's talking about here. We also need to apply those blessings that we have in Christ's liberty. <clears throat> First of all, that blood of Christ gives us that freedom of guilt of sin. Acts 2.38, we know what it says, right? Remission of sins is promised to those who repent and are baptized. The blood of Christ remains available for Christians who repent of sin. 1 John 1, let's read it. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Turn over to Acts 8. Verse 22. This is the story of Simon, the sorcerer. Do you remember it? 8.22, he says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Romans 8 talks about being strengthened in the spirit. I'm not going to go read it. But the point is, we have that continual cleansing by the blood as we walk in the light. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you can't fall away. I'm not preaching once saved, always saved here. But as our heart grows, as we continue to try to be like Christ, as we live according to his will, we're continually washed, continually cleansed through his blood. Do you understand that? Remember back when I was a teenager, I would struggle with that a little bit. I, you know, okay, I got to pray to confess my sins and repent of my sins. I got to pray to God to forgive me every time I sin. Right? And I'd think, well, what if I didn't know I had a sin? You know, or what if I did something wrong and I don't know it? Or if I committed some sin right before I died and I didn't pray about it, would I go to heaven? Did you ever think that when you were younger? Maybe you still think it now? Interesting questions, right? I can remember, had a buddy in high school, had a bad wreck one time. He almost bit it. And then we got back to school. I remember the first thing we were talking about, the first thing he said, I'm glad I didn't die because I was cursing pretty hard as I was heading off the road there. I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe your heart's not exactly where it should be if you were cursing as you were headed off the road. But the thought in my mind, is that really true? If I commit some sin right before I die, am I going to hell? 
1 John 1 helped me out a lot with that. As I began to grow, continue to mature, understand that as we're walking in Christ, maybe the problem is his heart's not where it should be if he's cursing right before he dies, right? Don't get me wrong on that. But we're walking in his light. We're constantly being cleansed. It's not about whether you say a prayer right before you die or every single sin, you got to go confess it and repent of it. Yeah, we do that on a daily basis. We have a heart that is humble before God, right? A heart that is willing to serve him. The law is not going to condemn us in that situation, no matter what. Yeah, we're going to commit sins. And we may not ask for forgiveness for every single one, but we're forgiven through that blood that constantly cleanses us. Constantly cleanses us. So yeah, that's what he's talking about here. In that freedom in Christ Jesus, we have that salvation. We have that assurance. We're going to be saved. And you know, you know where your heart is, right? And I've heard it said before, you know, somebody say, are you saved? Well, I'm not so sure. I'm not perfect. And I've heard it said, well, are you trying to live a right life? Are, do you have a humble spirit? Are you living with godly sorrow? And the person says, yeah, of course I am. Well, probably because you're asking that question, Mike should think, well, I got assurance, right? I got assurance because I'm worried about it. Now, that doesn't mean if you're struggling with something and you can't get over it. You know, you know, you know where your heart is about here the love of God that changes us constantly being formed in Christ Jesus now, I hope I haven't confused you completely on that but first John tells us a lot yes sir It's all part of that growth process, right? Knowing the word, being in prayer. Yes, sir. That's right. Absolute. Billy says, as long as we're walking in that light, we got nothing to worry about. And that's exactly what he's saying here. You're going to have sin in your life going to happen. There's going to be things that you do that you don't even realize you did that were wrong. But you're continually in the word. You're continually in prayer, asking forgiveness, that humble spirit before the Lord. And that's part of being in that light. That's part of observing what God has done for us. Okay? So if you are struggling with some of that stuff, perhaps that's some stuff you need to look at. And I hope that maybe helps you a little bit, you know? We're not perfect. None of us in here are. And I'll guarantee you, if you're struggling with something, there's probably somebody else in here that's struggling with the same thing. And that's part of being here together. So we're trying to help each other out. That don't mean you got to repent of things if you're involved with something that you know you don't need to be involved with. 
Absolutely. And you need to be asking forgiveness. But that's all part of that process. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. What's it say? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what it's there. We have that freedom in him. We're struggling with something. We can go to him. We have power and strength through him. Also, part of what you mentioned earlier is dealing with those traditions of men, cautiously traditions that may have a place on an individual level. In fact, what I'm talking about there, turn over to Romans 14. And verse 5. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. That verse always reminds me of that Aflac commercial when Yogi Bear was on there and said, you know, because when you need cash, that's when you really got to have it. And that's when you really need it, right? And the duck looks at him like, what are you talking about? But what he's saying there is, right, everybody's got their thing. And some think you need to do this, others think you need to do that. And that's fine on an individual basis. Don't worry about that so much. But when it comes to a congregational level, we have to be careful. And that's what we were talking about with the religious holidays back there in chapter 4. We're not going to deserve anything like Jesus' birth or, or death on a specific day. We, we observe his death and resurrection every Sunday as we should, as we are commanded to do. We're not going to observe feasts like they did in Israel because we're not told to do that. And that's what Paul's getting at. It's not about that stuff. It's about your freedom in Christ Jesus. All those things were pointing to him. So we're freed from keeping all these things. We can't use our liberty, though, to make an occasion for the flesh. All right? He goes on there in chapter 5. I'm not going to read it. Talk about be careful. That doesn't mean you can just go sin when you want. That just means you can do anything you want. Our life, new life in Christ means we're walking in the Spirit. Those things of the flesh need to be done away with. We need to be moving away from them. I know it's a struggle. Some people have a hard time with it. But we've got to be diligent on setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. If you are struggling with something, perhaps you need to be in prayer and on your knees. Right? And you might need to be going to someone who's a brother or sister that you can trust and saying, I need some help. Coming to the elders, coming to whoever it is. I need some help with this. I'm struggling with it. And out of love, you're going to get the help if you're truly seeking it. Liberty and joy in Christ is great. It gives us that freedom of the law, freedom of bondage of sin, freedom from traditions, and freedom from works of the flesh. So what Paul is saying is, don't go back. You have been set free. You've been given the truth. God has taken care of your sin. Now just have faith in him and trust in him. Turn it all over to him. And anybody in here has not done that today, you need to do it. Why not? 
date of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we're going to hopefully succeed in standing fast in our liberty. And I hope that you're doing that, that you can now understand what it means to stand in liberty in Christ Jesus, to have that assurance, to know where you're headed, right? And hopefully know we're all going together. And we're going to see Brother Skip there, guaranteed, and Sue's there. Whoever is a Christian has no condemnation. Just read that in Rome. All right. Thanks for being here.